Hello everybody, it is the 28th of December 2022 and I'm delighted to introduce our speaker today, Judy P. She first came into OA 34 years ago. Uh, she's had two relapses but came back 10 years and four months ago and has 10 years of abstinence and recovery from New Jersey in the USA. Uh, I'm delighted to have her speaking with us today. Uh, Judy, I'm going to take it away. Over to you. Oh, thank you so much. So good to be here. Judy, compulsive overeater. And um, yeah, it really is a miracle um, from where I came from. And I'm not a big book thumper, big book knowledge expert, but these are my favorite three lines in the big book. And this does sum up my recovery from we agnostics. On one proposition, however, these men and women strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. And I do consider myself a modern day miracle. There is no way I could have gone from where I was to where I am now. It was humanly impossible. Since it's a hundred pounder meeting, I'll get um, some numbers out of the way. Um, from, I have some pictures too. From, I came in the first time, lost about 140 pounds, came back. I gained back about 100, 165 pounds, went back out, came back. So from the height of my first relapse, I'm down about 170 pounds. And I've been maintaining a healthy body weight for a few years now. Dare I say, you know, I'm like, wait, excuse me, Judy, I think you better lose more weight. But I am going to show you some pictures. Um, what would really help is if I decided to screen share so you could actually see them. So this is after, I, and that's my father, not my husband. This is what I look like um, after, I don't have a before picture, but after I'd lost my weight and I got married, uh, I got married to somebody in OA and went right into a relapse. And this is what I look like about um, six years later. So, you know, in this country, we call this switch and bait. My husband married one woman and he got another. And these are just some pictures of me through my various stages of morbid obesity. And uh, this is me today. And, you know, uh, for me, a real sign of recovery is in my after picture. I didn't put on a tight black sweater. So you could see like every curve possible. Instead, I put on like a shirt I liked and I know my normal body size and that's what matters. So anyway, I did take some notes. I have no idea if I'm even going to do anything with them, but I hope so. Um, I was born, um, I guess, with a propensity for wanting more food. Um, my dieting career began at age seven and my parents sent me to diet camp for two months. Looking back on it now, I think how insane was that to send a seven-year-old away for two months, but um, they did not want me to live a life as a, a fat person. Um, I was known there as the youngest person who ever went because you weren't supposed to go before you were eight years old. My neighbor sent their daughter. And then my parents sent me to diet camp for the next nine summers. So my entire, when I was seven years old to 16, was spent dieting. So two months at diet camp, 10 months trying to keep Judy on a diet. That was my life. Um, I, and I really think I became as addicted to dieting as I did to food. 
Um, and I never even started my timer, no big deal. Anyway, um, in high school, I went to, so if anybody ever went to die camp, like from 65 to 74, I went to Camp Stanley, Camp Ferrosdale, Weight Watcher camps, love to hear from you. But I went to the Way and Pay camp, and which was, so when I came home in high school, I went to the Way and Pay, which was horrible, because uh, the fear of the scale was driven real deep into me then um you know the person would weigh you and if you did bad it was like shame and then if you did good they made you stand up and talk it was horrible a horrible experience I refused to go back to diet camp that last year in high school because I had gained a lot of weight and um I was too embarrassed so I went to college I think it was probably the first time I got up to 300 pounds um and I was just nuts in college um, I graduated literally by the 10th you were allowed to graduate by. I had fun, so I thought. Um, it was a lot of drinking and drugs and eating. I never had a problem giving up drinking or drugs, no problem, or smoking. Eating was a whole nother ballgame. And I had so much shame, though, about my body. I remember I'd go to these parties and wear this big, heavy black coat sweating to death. Um, just really terrified for people to see my body size. My body image issues happened when I was young. I went to a small private school and I still remember standing in the playground and um, some kids making fun of me. I mean, there were like 10 of us there. And I remember I just stood there and it was like, then I learned to just grin and bear it. And my college kids made fun of me. And, you know, my prayer was always, I don't care if you make fun of me, just don't do it in front of other people. To me, that was the worst because like I think one of my greatest fears I've come to learn is that I'm going to look unlovable or like an outcast. And um, so that's always been a prayer that had followed me. Just don't make fun of me in front of other people. Um, so as I said, college was a nightmare. I had no hygiene skills at all. In my freshman year, someone taped a can of deodorant to my door and someone had put a note on my towels that said please wash me I don't know why I missed the chapter on how to take care of yourself my brother was a clean freak um and in college I learned I did have fun in regards to uh it was the late 70s I don't know um how old people are but it was like the time of punk rock and I went to New York every weekend and I fit right in we were just a bunch of social outcasts. Um, I was still eating through it all. And, you know, something happened where I crossed the line where being overweight and eating took me to a new place, a new really dark place. My weight was skyrocketing. I don't know how big I ever got, but in my early 20s, I had, um, I stopped going out of the house for two years. I was terrified for people to see how big I was. Um, it was a dark time for me. I wrote letters to my grandmother who had just died. It was just, and I understand that TV show, you know, where people don't leave the house who are many hundreds of pounds. You know, my mom has this disease. She brought me food. I don't blame her at all. I was an adult. I could make a choice. Um, but somewhere... I never believed in God either. I have to say that something somehow one morning I was able to wake myself up and put myself on a diet. 
And I was on that diet for a good few months. And I had my parents buy me a scale because I was convinced, you know, God, I must like be really thin. And I got on the scale and it said 300 pounds. And I couldn't comprehend that. Um, but before I had gone into my room, I remember, um, I remember I used to buy my jeans at a big immense department at a department store here and they stopped fitting and I used to tie them with a rope because I couldn't zipper them and I'd wear a big t-shirt man's t-shirt and that was my outfit um so started going back out of the house I was actually able to dye it down to I don't know the 250s or 240s I mean I felt good and um and this is in my 20s. And I saw a show on bulimia. And uh, that day I became bulimic. It was that simple. I'm like, oh, my God, a solution to not gaining back my weight. So I immediately started purging what laxatives. And, you know, the thing with laxatives is like they're obviously, you know, they're addictive. If anybody's taken them, could you keep increasing? And, you know, it was like I treated laxatives like I was buying some illegal drug. I was afraid to keep going back to the same drugstore that the woman would know I just bought them yesterday. And I would go to like all these drugstores all over just to be able to buy them. And then I um, I stopped because I couldn't do it. I think, you know, I was just like a really lazy bulimic. And of course, all my weight just came back on. So a few months before December, before my 30th birthday, I went to OA and, you know, um, I don't believe when they say, you know, what's it going to look like if people walk into a meeting and they only see only overweight people there, blah, blah, blah. I went to my first meeting. It was a woman who was morbidly obese and relapsed for five years and a newcomer. And she kept showing up in case anybody new came. She explained that program to me, gave me pamphlets, told me to go to another meeting. And I got abstinent at that meeting. So something happened. My first recovery was amazing, strong in my mind, uh, but I relapsed. Um, I worked the program and this is going back before cell phones. I was sponsoring like nine people speaking, having the time of my life, huge spiritual awakening, uh, or should I say a huge religious awakening? That was what it was. I became obsessed with religion. Uh, when I started, you know, this whole God thing was amazing. I was raised Jewish, well, born Jewish. We had no religion in our house. And so uh, I went around on my own. It was such a beautiful experience. I went to different churches, different temples, and I decided to become a Catholic because and, and no judgments anywhere at all about anything. It was so extreme. I'm like, who doesn't want to be a Catholic? I could go to church every day before work, and I would. And, you know, like very shortly, I became totally obsessed with the priest. So I always say people was my second addiction. And I was convinced he wasn't interested in me because he must be gay. Not that he's a priest. He must be gay. And um, I used to take walks at, at night, you know, kind of past the rectory to see if he'd be outside. It was nuts. But I was in this, so this is where I was after I lost all my weight in recovery. Um, I wound up dating my husband, who I met in OA, who was getting a divorce. And I remember thinking, what would be worse in the Catholic Church? I'm marrying a man who's getting a divorce or, you know, so I joined my husband's church. And um, and now I just consider myself a non-denominational Christian. 
but uh, I wouldn't trade all my experiences with my spiritual awakening. So for me, the religion and the spirituality came as one. Um, and it wasn't until this recovery that I understood the difference. So why relapsed? Uh, I stopped working the program. I failed to enlarge my spiritual life. I had such a spiritual awakening. I didn't know I could go any further. I love step 12. Love step 12, speaking and sponsoring. I don't think I ever really looked at step 10. And my defects were controlling my life completely. Um, I also did not get the emotional recovery. I still felt like a huge outcast. Um, I, I was still filled with fear. Um, and everything was all about me still. And the big thing was I was living a life of total, complete dishonesty. Um, I had, I was married. I mean, even the relationship before my husband for eight years, the entire time I was in huge, heavy duty, emotional relationships with other people. And, um, it wasn't until this recovery that by a miracle, I was able to let it go. And that was hard. Um, and in that first recovery, I remember thinking, you know, it is so far back to 300 pounds, I'll be able to stop myself. Like, and then I go to 175 and 200 and 225. And, you know, I just stopped getting weighed. And um, because I actually believed I could stop myself from gaining weight. Uh, and that was obviously my disease. Another huge red flag for me was I started looking for reasons uh, to go back uh, out to eat. I don't like it now. And I always had to go to a salad bar because my addiction for volume was kicking in huge and I knew I could pile it up. Um, my boundaries kept expanding with food to where I was eating everything except dessert. So therefore I was abstinent. And then of course the dessert followed. The I couldn't handle being a normal body size. And I say every pound I lost in my body, I gained in my head. It was and for people who have to lose weight, you do become a normal body size for the first time. It could really screw with your head. I mean, it's just reality. I put everything into losing weight. Like I believe, like so many of us, that was the solution to life. Like if I'm a normal body size, everyone's going to like me and nothing else is going to matter about me. And it was a lie. Um, so I was probably in a relapse for six months before I even admitted I was in a relapse. Um, I, and here's the one explanation I'll give, you know, and this happened to me in this, in this recovery, but God got me back. It's like you're driving on a highway and in our country here, there are signs that say, you know, road splits ahead. And if you're not paying attention, you're veering off. And before you know it, you're on the wrong highway. I got to always watch for veering off. So stay in the middle of the road um, because it's real easy to to do that. So I went back out. I came back from my second recovery. That was not even worth talking about. Um, I was just in la la land and it lasted a few years, but I want to get to this recovery. Um, I came back because I was going to retire. I retired early and I read this article that said, put in your life now what you want when you retire. So I went to an OA meeting and I joined a gym. And unlike my first two recoveries, I was not struck abstinent that meeting. And all I was doing was going to a meeting once a week and trying to follow away and pay online. And that was it. And, you know, 
when I got abstinent and uh, and I share this because I, I know other people feel the same thing. Nothing changed. I had Christmas at my house this year. I was good. You know, I stuck to everything good. And then everybody left and I just cleared out all the bowls and ate them. And then the next day I woke up. 15 minutes. Thank you. I was able to have day one. Now I've had lots of day ones. And I think, you know, the most demoralizing are when you get to the day three and day five, because you think you finally have it and then you eat again. So I got, so I, I got, I got day one. And after about day four, I was going to my meeting and I asked a woman to sponsor me. And she said, yes, I could never work this program without a sponsor for me. Um, I didn't know one thing about her. I didn't even know what kind of pro nothing, but I needed a sponsor. And as soon as I got one, I felt hope. So I said to her, listen, I follow food plan online. And I've done the step work already. So, you know, if there's something I got to do with the fourth step, I'll let you know. I was telling her. And it was like she didn't hear one word I said. She said, you'll start committing your food to me and you'll start on your step work. I don't care how you do it. And um, I will tell you, she did not use the big book at all. Um, it was not the best relationship. I stayed with her for two years. I was terrified of her, to be honest with you. And sometimes I think that's the only way I stayed abstinent. Even when she relapsed, I stayed with her. Um, but I remembered, I found a big book phone meeting. I remembered uh, when I was in my first recovery, I had the cassettes of um, the two famous AA speakers. I don't want to give, you know, outside enterprises. I found them online and um I went to a phone meeting and they had a page. I don't think they still have it anymore of outside resources. And I discovered an AA speaker who really changed my recovery big time. And um, uh, he died a few years ago, but um, he made such an impact on my life um, just from listening to him. Anyway. So uh, we so we get abstinent in our sleep is what I came to realize. We do because we eat the day before and and I think all our healing happens in our sleep. So among, I had three sponsors. My second sponsor was wonderful, taught me all about love and loving myself. But the problem was she was 20 years older than me. I became her daughter. It was a very, it became very enmeshed and I could do nothing wrong in her eyes. So when I went to her with issues, oh, Judy, stop being so hard on yourself. So now I have a sponsor for, I don't know how long I've had her, at least two years. And she is amazing. And, you know, I, I do believe get a sponsor who has what you want. And she's 80. She does so much service. She's been absent over 25 years. And 10 years before that with a relapse. And she's maintaining over 200 pound weight loss. And she says things to me like, I have to want abstinence and recovery more than I want to breathe. And that's what I need to hear. I need to hear that kind of commitment from people, from my sponsor, uh, because she has what I want. I want long-term abstinence recovery a day at a time for the rest of my life. And I believe it's available to me. Um, I had gone to a convention and um, and they did it by years of service. And they had a woman there with 50 years and then 
there were so many people who, had, who were absent between 20 and 30 years. It was just so encouraging to me. And um, so anyway, um, one of the challenges I had in this recovery was finally having to accept the fact that my body size was not my identity. And I didn't know how to accept that. It was either, you know, hi, I'm Judy. Oh my God, I know morbidly obese. Hi, I'm Judy. I've lost 150 pounds. Hi, I'm Judy. I'm a normal body. Like I had no identity. It was just the size of my body. That was it. So, um, you know, I moved to an over 55, like three years ago, three and a half years ago, for some reason, I thought people would be lined out my front door saying, oh, I want to be friends with Judy. She's a normal body size. Oh, guess what? Not so. <laughs> And lots of people are in this world and here. So anyway, um, I do recommend working the steps immediately. Having a food plan, I heard something something on here that really helped me is my food plan might kill you and your food plan might kill me. All my sponsors eat food that I don't eat, including my sponsor. And I'm sure I eat foods that they don't eat. But I will tell you when I do sponsor, I do send my sponsors an email of what I expect of them. And one of them is I do not um, sponsor people who do eat certain foods or drink alcohol um, because I understand some people's um, abstinence is just no binging, no purging, but I could not sponsor people who had two scoops of ice cream for dinner. It it, it just did fit into what I believed. But um, sponsoring is just so critical for my recovery as outreach um, a lot changed for me during COVID. I, I mean, I got to focus on my recovery. Like a lot of us did. I used to go to a ton of meetings. Now I go to one meeting a day on a rare occasion too. And I only go to one for me, because if I go to more than one, what am I avoiding doing? I have a lot of other things in my life that I really want to do. Um, my prayer life has changed a lot. My prayer, oh my God. I used to put myself through prayer torture. Um, my prayer, my morning prayer sometimes. I had a stack of daily readers, not just OA, but spiritual ones. And honestly, sometimes it took me two hours. And then I couldn't wait for it to be over. Now I do different things. Um, I don't say all the prayers they tell you to say in the big book, because some of them just bore me. I've looked up other versions of them, but a lot of times, I mean, I do two-way prayer every day, and I've been doing that since my first recovery. I just write to God. Um, I like to do a reading, but I write to God, and the things I do is, the first thing I like to do is a dump of everything I need to surrender to him that I just is causing chaos in my brain. You know, I love the set-aside prayer, and that prayer has really changed a lot in my life because God, when I did that set-aside prayer, he changed some things that I had to set aside. He changed how long my workouts are. I thought I gained weight. Nope. He told me I didn't have to work out so much. And guess what? He was right. So the set aside prayer definitely works. Um, I'm learning now about uh, balance. So this recovery this year, I could talk about, sorry if I'm going all over the place. One of the things I, first thing I got put before me was honesty. And I'm not going to read all these. Like I thought honesty was just care for your honesty. But I learned dishonesty is lying to others, embellishing the truth, omission of the truth, appearing to be more than who I am, using people for personal gain, 
blaming others, thinking we're better or worse than others, gossiping, talking behind people's backs, people pleasing to get others to like you, playing a mind reader and what you think others are thinking about you. So these are all forms of dishonesty. And uh, I was living a lot of them. The other thing that I did this um, recoveries I did and in the past, I don't know, six months, a judgment inventory of all the people I've judged. And as it turned out, I have judged every single person in my family, my husband's family, every neighbor, every friend, every coworker, every sponsor, every sponsee, every OA fellow. There's no one that I did not find fault with. And I realized my fear of others judging me is in direct proportion to how much I am judging others. So I worked hard to turn that around. Um, the thing now God has put before me is I have to look at my control issues with OA service. Um, I've heard a lot of really good things that have helped me. Um, for some reason, I thought I had to volunteer when there was an open service position. Like I had to go into a meeting and say, who needs help? Um, maybe wanting to look good. I have no idea. Um, the other thing I worked on is acts of bravery and courage. And I do put on my action plan every day to do an act of bravery. And um, in September, I had on my action plan, <laughs> something like this wants to make me cry. How silly is that? But it does. And that's okay. Oh, I put on my action plan to contact Rita that I'd like to speak at this meeting. And because, you know, there are no stars or VIPs, but I'm sorry. Some people still scare the crap out of me and I can't help it. But I've worked hard on letting that go. And, and that was on my action plan. So I, I every day try to, to just to do something I might be afraid of. And amazing things have happened because I, I looked at the courage thing. Um, some of the, the, the greatest gifts of the program I can share with you for me is um, I realized when I wrote this, I think it's maybe my slogan. I don't know. Food neutrality is reality. And it rhymes. And you know what? I thought people were lying. Even Five minutes. Oh, thank you, um, Kendall. I thought people were lying. I was abstinent, but I'm still nuts. Food neutrality is new reality. What I had to do was I had to look at any compulsive overeating behaviors that were still in my food plan. It wasn't the food, it was the behaviors. So I'm pretty cut and dry on what those behaviors are. I do plan and commit my food to my sponsor every night. I send it to her. I do a detailed nightly inventory and I do a writing. Oh, the one thing I don't want to forget is um, I do the steps every January. I love doing the steps and every year it's a different way. And I bring my sponsor, any sponsors who want to go through it with me. I look at for all of us continuing education credits. I'm real excited about next year. It's a brand new way. We're going to study in depth one step a month all kinds of literature. I already have January all written out. I think I must have been a school teacher in another life. Anyway, another big thing for me was learning what the grace of God is, which I never knew. And this has helped me more than anything because I was sitting here one day in my recliner and I realized I do not deserve one thing I have in my life today. My husband, I literally broke our marriage in half and I had the best marriage I could imagine. I live in a house beyond my wildest dreams. I don't know how we afforded it when I was so reckless with money. I should have been fired from my job. I threw away two recoveries. 
God did not care. And I had this image of God sitting at this bridge table with a whole pile of my stuff. And he just went one big swoosh and never even looked at one thing on the table. And that love of God has changed my life. When I started to fathom how much he really does love me. Um, other gifts. Um, learning I'm equal to every person on this earth, even if I don't always believe it. Um, not worrying about being the largest girl in the room, getting stuck in turnstile, seat, not needing seatbelt extenders. Of course, I had my own personal one. Not breaking chairs or sinking in the sand on the beach. Um, I'm doing things now. I mean, I'm chair of this big committee here where I live. I wrote a book, still editing, probably will edit it for the rest of my life, and uh, a companion journal. And guess what? I want to be a nicer person. Like, I really want to be friendly to the cashiers. I was their biggest nightmare. And I used to sit there, check me and pray and scan my items so I got them for free. Now I tell them, you didn't bring this up. Fear is super minimal. And for me also the freedom to guard my abstinence at all costs. I brought all my own food for Christmas. I often bring my own food everywhere except for a restaurant. And I do not bring a scale in a restaurant. Um, I just get confused when I see big platters and say, I'll take a normal serving size because I was a volume eater. That's a normal serving size to me. So I'm going to end because I know my time is coming up with some slogans. I heard um, this, I heard that I really love. If it's not an option for me, it's not a problem for me. Simple, list out all the things that are just not an option for you. Um, this helped me probably more than anything. I had to learn to sit with being uncomfortable with everything. Um, I just had to, I just had to learn. I mean, I have food neutrality, but there are times I'll look at the clock and I'm like, oh, when am I going to eat my next meal? But I know I'm not going to eat it intuitively, I know I'm not going to, and I could sit at that table with such a deep gratitude to God, because I know it is by his grace that I was able to wait and eat. I do not, and I do pray before and after meals that it's enough food to carry me to the next meal. Um, we're working on our recovery or we're making excuses. Every step towards recovery, every step I take is towards recovery or relapse. And this, I had heard, um, we get good at whatever we practice. So if I want to practice my disease, oh my God, I was such a good compulsive overeater, an expert. I really was. I had a whole lifetime to practice it. And now I get to practice my recovery, my honesty, my trying to be a better person. Um, I never wanted to work at being a better person. I just wanted to become a thin person. I didn't care what my insides looked like. I thought if I was thin, that was all that would matter to anybody. And um, and for some reason, I thought I got a free pass in my behavior. So I know my time must be up any second now. And uh, I think I got everything in that I wanted to. Um, usually my biggest fear was, did I mention I owe it all to God? Oh my God, I didn't mention God, but I did. And um, oh, the last thing I just want to take one half a second That's on. Time. Can I just take one half second? So one of the things I um, I can kind of laugh at my stuff about are the rules. I may, I've made up my own rules of recovery that I keep trying to let go of. And, you know, just to give you an example of how caught up I get is I want OA to publish the rules on outreach calls because like I call somebody 
And she goes, okay, you're my second call. I'm, I'm calling my sponsors my third call. And I'm like, excuse me, that's not allowed to count as outreach calls. Like, this is how I am. Anyway, I'll just end with, with, how, with how crazy I can be. But thank you.